Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log Supplemental, the one from Las Vegas, with Connor Trenier and Anthony Montgomery. Uh, welcome into another supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I am Ken Ray, but you can call me the quiet one. <laughs> does, does that make me the cute one or the married one? I don't, I don't I, I can't remember what hands the... Hands off, girls. Yeah. <laughs> He's spoken for. Um, no, you're John Champion. I am. I'm yeah. John Champion. And, probably say that and we're, we're in the vendor room at Star Trek Las Vegas. Yes. At the Roddenberry table. Yeah. So if you are here or are going to be here when you hear this, stop by because we're here all weekend. We, it's kind of meta-geek, actually, because not only are we in a Star Trek convention, we're at the Roddenberry table, we're in the dealer's room, right. and we're at the Roddenberry table, Yes, and we're doing a podcast about Star Trek from that very table. So it's like it's like Russian nesting dolls of geekdom, it is the number of levels, that, that, and we're wearing Mission Log t-shirts yes. as well. Yeah, we're kind of Mission Logged out. Yeah. Not logged out. <laughs> Logged in. Mission logged in. Anyway, yes. Uh, the reason I joked that I was the, the quiet one... Wait, should we tell people about our panel first in case they only get to hear part of it? I think we should. All right. So Friday afternoon, which is, I guess, this afternoon, as you're hearing this, if you hear it the day it comes out. If you hear it on Saturday, it's not this afternoon. It was yesterday. Oh, you should have been there. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, 3.40 in the DeForest Kelly Theater. Uh, we are going to be doing the Mission Log panel. A lot of other really cool panels going on, including uh, Larry Nemechek is doing a panel before that, and then he does not even get to get a cup of water. No. He's then going to be the um, MC, the moderator, the guy who right. talks about uh, you know, what we're talking about. He's going to lead us through our questions, and it'll sound much better than what we're doing right now. Yeah. Except for what's about to happen. Right. That's right. I left that part out. Right. The reason I'm the quiet one is because we have two fantastic interviews uh, that we're going to run, I guess, probably just back-to-back. Back. Yeah. And um, John knows the gentleman better than I do, and we're kind of set up for two mics right now. We're going to be set up for three by tomorrow, I think. Yeah. So I sort of just sat here and, and stared in wonder at the interviewing mastery uh, that was John Champion. <laughs> John, who do we have with us? So we had the pleasure of talking to uh, a couple of guys from Enterprise, from Star Trek Enterprise. We I've have, heard of that show. You have, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's part of Star Trek. You'll get very familiar with it in 11 years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had Connor Trenier, Trip Tucker, and we had Anthony Montgomery, Travis Mayweather from Enterprise. Both just fantastic guys. Um, I, I love talking to them about Star Trek because I, I feel like, I don't know, this is going to come across the wrong way, but I feel like there are some people when you talk to about Star Trek, they're kind of jaded, like they've done the interview thing a million times and they've been coming to the conventions forever and ever. But Star Trek as of now is still, or Enterprise as of now is still relatively fresh, relatively mm-hmm. young, and, um, and I just love the energy that the Enterprise cast has when they come to a convention because they're, they're just into it, you know, and they're, they're just ready to jump in with an interview and it's cool to hear people talk about what we talk about on Mission Log, which is kind of what, what is the thought behind it? What, what is the, the philosophy, the concept? What are you going for in terms of a message? And they both had very different answers and very different approaches. So I think that uh, I think our audience will enjoy hearing those. 
We are here at Star Trek Las Vegas. It is day one. And uh, here at the Mission Log headquarters at the Roddenberry table, we're joined by a very special guest, Mr. Connor Trenier. Connor, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. The, this is early in the convention for you. Yeah. By, by the end of the week, do you, is the voice gone? The money's at, left behind the table? <laughs> the money's at the craps table. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, these are... They organize these very well. Like, today is my day. I'm doing all of my stuff today. I'm going to mm-hmm. hang out tomorrow. Um, I'm going to go have dinner with Brandon. Oh. Um, and... Uh, yeah. So yeah, by the end of today, it, it's it's toast. Yeah. I'm deep and gravelly and sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just your regular mo. That's. Uh... Yeah, but it's deeper and gravelly oh, deeper and sexier. And gravel. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's really, nice. really good. Tell me about the first convention. My first convention was in our first year. I went to. I wanted to keep it close to home. I'm from mm-hmm. close to Portland, Oregon. And uh, I, I wanted to have my family around because I had no idea what to expect, of course. So um, I remember being terrified and uh, walking into the, the Hilton. All the, all the conventions minus, say, this one. Yeah. Are, are, you know, when you say you're going to, like, St. Louis or Boston. You, no, you're not. You're going to a hotel near the airport right. near Boston or right. St. Louis. So it was a, it was a Hilton near, near uh, Portland PDX. And uh, I remember being escorted onto the stage by these two guys dressed up as Klingons. And, uh, you know, just thinking, what in the hell have I gotten myself into? And I don't remember much from the Q&A because I'm, I would think I was just terrified. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, over the years, you, you learn what's a good story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what, what the fans respond to. And, you know, it's kind of like honing a comedy bit, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like the, the terrified world of stand-up. Yeah. Um, and so by this point, uh, I have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to be asked. There's yeah. probably about 20 standard questions that I've, you know, worked up, hopefully, humorous anecdotes to. Right. It's kind of a weird relationship that... I mean, Star Trek is kind of singularly unique, but it's kind of a weird relationship that an actor has with an audience like this, where it's a convention, it's a gathering, and it, it's fans, and there's a sort of like expected contract with the audience. I mean, do you look at it as essentially like a show, like you're doing a role when you're on stage doing the Q&A? Well, that's an interesting question. No. I mean, I'm. The thing is, I think that the fans, and you can break this down, in like to another level. The fans want, if they're fans of yours, they want to know something about you. They want a bit of you. Mm-hmm. They've got the show. They've got the movies or whatever it is that you've done, but they want a bit of you. So, a lot of times, those questions are directed in that way. You know, they want to know what you do in your life or, or you know, and you share as much as you're willing to share. I mean, yeah. and you, like I said, you can break it down even further. Something about human nature, you know, people want to know what happens to people that they're fans of if they don't have a convention, hence the paparazzi and all these, you know, stupid right. gossip sites. Right. You know, they want to have that little bit more information about, about that person. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a venue that's perfect because you get to, you know, 
give them your best. You get to be open to them. Um, you really are a guest in their deal. You know, it, it, they typically, I just got out of a, they had a VIP Q&A session with me and 20 people. And they are all members of the same fan group all around the country. They get together at least once a year. Whenever they're in whoever's town, they visit, they hang out. You know, and it's a, night, it's a, it's a really interesting way to um, meet and, and make friends. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Star Trek. So when you got the role and you have to process this as the prequel to everything that had come before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you look at kind of the bigger picture, the, you know, here's where our show ties into the original series, here are kind of the things that we're leading up to, or did you sort of separate yourself from the Star Trek mythos? Well, in my situation, there was a healthy dose of ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know much. After the original series, um, I didn't really watch it. I watched it as a kid after school, and then it it just didn't capture me like, say it captured my brother, or uh, how Next Gen, my wife watched it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I was kind of a year into the job that I really began to sort of understand any of that. So fortunately, I think for me, in terms of like getting the job as well, not having a great deal of knowledge about it helped me not be, you know, like, oh my God, I'm auditioning for the new Star Trek series. <laughs> I just wet myself. You know, it wasn't anything <laughs> like that. I was sort of like, you know, going for another gig. And then it happened to be such a great part and what I think was a great series. And um, all the rest of that chronology came later for me. So, I, I heard from Brandon one time when he was posed the question about is Star Trek better when it's personal or when it's political? And he said, well, it, it has to be personal. You have to start with the emotional heart of the characters, the core of the characters. So, I, I got kind of a two part question for you. I want to know when you felt like Trip, like when you really nailed it, when, when you felt like you had kind of hit that emotional heart for Trip and really figured that character out. But I also want to know what you felt like the strengths of Enterprise were for approaching the, the political, the moral, kind of the philosophical, philosophical things that Star Trek is known for. For me, um, and I think it's, this is the case for a lot of actors who are, have been series regulars, pretty quickly, that character needs to be you. Mm-hmm. And Trip was definitely close to who I was that's I think why I was cast in the role and so I think it's it's the struggle of every actor to find to 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 pull away the layers to expose the truth that's your job I mean and and some people are really effective at that and some people are less effective but that that is really what you need to do you need to strip away everything to find where the truth lies and tell the story from there that's what I consider nailing it 
mm-hmm. and you know nailing it is kind of a it's a hard way to put it <laughs> uh, nailing it is is almost impossible you know yeah. you, you you do the best you can with the time that you have and sometimes it's better than others now regarding like <clears throat> the politics you know 9-11 happened on us yeah you know while we were uh, doing the show and I can only speak for my own self is that Tripp's sister dies during that and you know his his, uh, his home state is cut in half by, by a laser from the Zindi and rightly or wrongly I think it was a you know thinly veiled uh, response to 9-11 or not thin <laughs> or, or what? Or, or not thinly veiled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty clear. Yeah. So, I, you know, I I felt like I was given an opportunity to because we were all uh, incredibly affected by that, been for a long time, and I had the opportunity to kind of work through all that as an actor at work, and and. While I didn't have anybody pass away there, I had friends who did. And um, I had friends, and my, my sister was directly affected by it. And I was just affected by it as an American, as a, as, a, as, as a person. And I got to work through all of that in a story. You know, the Zindi arc and, and Tripp's sister and... In some way, I, I, lucky's the wrong way to put that. I, I, I was fortunate to be able to work through my own issues and demons or whatever was coming out of me from, from that experience. So, yeah, I mean, what Brandon said is absolutely right. It always comes down to the personal. The personal is where it starts, and the political is the thing that's layered on top of that. Always, always. So, uh, with Mission Log, we're uh, we're in the middle of the original series. We're going in order. So, in about right. eleven years, we're going to get to Enterprise, <laughs> and uh, we'll have to have you back to talk excellent, about Trip excellent. in another eleven years. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Cool, man. Well, thanks for joining us. My today. pleasure. All right. My pleasure. All right, we're joined by Anthony Montgomery. Hey, John Champion, how are you, buddy? <laughs> Doing well, man. The one and only Travis Mayweather. That is what they call me in Beijing, I was told. Yes. Wow. <laughs> All right. Tell me, I don't think we've ever talked too much about, I want to know your first experience of Star Trek, like when you were aware of it as a kid or... Uh, got you, yes. I watched it growing up. I okay. watched the original series growing up, but okay. I wasn't a Trekker. Yeah by any stretch of the imagination but I was aware of the franchise and fell in love with Gene Roddenberry's vision when I was a kid yeah tell us about that vision because that's kind of what we do on this show is we talk about the philosophy the morals the ethics like what what resonated with you oh well and at the risk of being redundant for everybody I am actually writing my autobiography right now and I cover all of this in a chapter that addresses me becoming a part of the franchise. So First of all, you're too young to have an autobiography. Yeah, no, but and that's what everybody says, but I've lived a life. Um, I've survived 
I've survived a lot in my life. For those who don't know, you're 24 years old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and I don't, uh, I don't think that education has a definitive age. Mm-hmm. So if I can teach you something that, whatever it is, if I can give you some small takeaway that helps you have a better experience in your existence, then I think it's worth going for instead of me just waiting until I'm 70 or 80 and saying, hey, back when I was young, why not document it, do it now? Because most people live their whole lives and they'll never get an opportunity to be on something as storied as Star Trek, period. So I I, I don't want to spoil it, but tell us a little bit about that kind of personal philosophy and how that folded into your experience of Star Trek. Well, Gene Roddenberry's philosophy for... Mankind living in this utopian society where we are truly all equal. That is, that should be the genesis for all the life that is generated everywhere. Uh, but unfortunately, I think people keep forgetting that philosophy, which is why we have so much struggle and strife. Because if, to me, I hear some people say, well, you just have to have tolerance. It's not even about tolerating other people because your experience doesn't affect mine. So I don't have to tolerate your experience. You just allow. It's, I think the problems come into play when people try to limit others from having their experience, whatever they want that to be. I don't have to tolerate it because what you do doesn't affect me. Gay marriage. Why am I opposed? I'm not gay. But that doesn't mean that I think gay people getting married is horrible. Their relationship has nothing to do with me. Uh, I hear those naysayers, well, that teaches the wrong message. How about I'm a father and it's my job to teach my children what message is the right or wrong message. And that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not one of those people, anybody that knows me, I don't get on a soapbox. I can, but that's not how I live my life. I just... I live my life in as positive in as positive a way as I possibly can, and live and let live. So, how do we get there? I mean, if, if Star Trek shows us this image of the future, mm-hmm. you said utopian acceptance. You know, all, all of these. How, how do we? And you look at where we are now, and you look at a show that started 50 years ago mm-hmm. and has had multiple incarnations. Right. And you could argue that where we are today is as fragmented, as difficult as it was 50 years ago. Right. So what do we do? You know, where, 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 do, you, where do you think we have to go to get to something that it is as ideal, as accepting, as a world like we see in Star Trek? Everybody has to make a collective decision to do it. It could happen tomorrow. It's not something that to me is a vision that is so far off. People just have to wake up and make a choice to be good, to be kind, to treat people fairly. That's all. It's not where do we have to go to get to that. Humanity, people in general, have to evolve to a level that they realize that everybody is truly the same. You don't have to wait until you're on your deathbed to go, wait, I should have been a good person. You can do it every single day, even if you were a bad person yesterday. You can start today and be a good person. So what will it take? It will take a collective 
awakening is what it will take. How far are we from that? We're as close or as far as we are from everybody wanting to to be tired of being of things being the same. As soon as people really get tired of it, they will stop. They will change. There don't have to be wars, but people have to decide, I don't want to fight. The soldiers have to decide, I don't need to do this. This does not make anybody's life better. Now, granted, you have to defend yours, and I understand all that, but again, if everybody stepped into that reality, then I don't need to defend mine because I don't feel like mine is under attack. Let's talk about Enterprise a little bit. You got to predate the original series. Yes. What could Sulu have learned from you? Man, are you kidding me <laughs> to enjoy his job? Are you? Did you guys watch Enterprise? Travis had fun all the time. Yes, he was a really serious dude, but I also wanted to... That youthful exuberance, the excitement that people saw in Travis's eyes, I, w- I made a conscious decision to have that there mm-hmm. because I didn't want him to seem so used to space travel that it was just boring because I'm a sci-fi fan. So I figure if the people that I'm watching are excited about what they're doing, then as an audience member, I'm excited. That's, I, I don't know, but I mean, you, you say, what could he have learned? George, if you're listening to this, that was all in jest. There's nothing that Travis could have learned from Sulu. You know what? I take that back. Everybody can learn something from anybody, but Sulu was the, he's the iconic alpha and omega in that seat. So, you know, and I love George dearly, so... Uh, Everybody can learn something from everybody. I would have been his great-grandfather or something like that. So, yeah, of course. I could have taught that young and something. <laughs> what are your proudest moments, uh, either for your character or for your enterprise in general? Oh, just probably that we reach so many people that, that it makes such a difference in the lives of so many people around the world. And... It's one of those collective experiences being a part of this franchise that people may not specifically know Enterprise, but everybody in the world, even people that have lived under rocks, know what Star Trek is. Everybody. So that's just, it's pretty amazing. Now, people listening don't know it, but Ken is sitting between us. Yes. And he is holding a copy of Miles Away. He is tell me about miles away there it is miles away you guys can't see this but you can if you go to (laughs) follow me on twitter at mr a montgomery and miles away is available on barnesandnoble.com it's available on amazon.com you can and if those guys are out because a couple of people told me that we sold out on barnes and noble or on amazon congratulations thank you thank you thank you um if that is the case and I've got my publisher verifying that. If that is the case, you guys can get an autographed, numbered, and signed edition from Antarctic Press. Go to AntarcticPress.com, and they have copies that I've already numbered and signed, and they can send it out. What is Miles Away? Miles Away is a sci-fi franchise 
speculative fiction franchise that I have created. I created the franchise in 2001. It's about a 16-year-old named Maxwell Miles who has a clouded past. He develops a superhuman ability, gets recruited by a shadowy organization to battle Madame Iniquity and her evil minions, Dimwit and Intellect. I know. As the creator <laughs> of the franchise, I get to have fun and take liberties. It's been a blast. Nice. He also allies with two alien refugees and falls into an interstellar war as he explores his family's dark past. I created something for my core Star Trek fans out there because as I've talked to a lot of our Star Trek fans around the world, literally not just at the uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, but around the globe. I just got back from Australia. I was in Germany. I've been to the UK. I've literally been all around this planet and every fan that I've talked to says the same thing. It doesn't have to have Star Trek on it for us to support it. It just has to be good. And I said, with that in mind, I'm going to create something quality. Miles Away is quality science fiction. It's going to be a transmedia franchise beginning with a graphic novel. It's also going to be an animated series. And then the goal is three to four years after the animated series launches, because I want to have a lot of fun with the animation and the graphic novels. We will then launch the very first live action feature film. Nice. And it's going to be a and I'm going to find some amazing 16 year old kid out there that the audience can grow up with because my goal is to do at least five feature films. We'll start with the very first one, and Sweet. depending on where everything goes, we will see Max at different stages in his life. We will see him on Earth, and we'll see him on Rotwila, the other world that I created. I've got some amazing voice talent attached. I've, already, I've got, of course, my Star Trek family. Scott Bakula is playing the... Uh, is attached as the character um, V.A. Gent. He's the leader of the shadowy organization that recruits Max. So that was the first person that I thought of. I said, well, I've got to have O-Captain, my captain, to, <laughs> to lead that, uh, that band of merry men. And I've got Bob Picardo attached. I've got Ethan Phillips, uh, Marina Sirtis. I've got a who's who from all of my Star Trek family I've already talked to Brent Spiner, Michael Dorn, LeVar. Great. Uh, I've talked, yeah, and Garrett is already signed on board. I've got all of my core guys, Tim Russ, all of these guys, and uh, even Jonathan Frakes. Um, and I'm going to be talking to, well, Uncle Avery, Avery Brooks. Yeah, has, uh, nice. has already. Nice. Well, he's already said that he wants to do something. I just have to figure out what I want him to do. Great. So I'll be talking to him, and my goal was to get, once I started getting Star Trek actors, I started thinking, what really cool and successful franchise has some representation from all incarnations of the Star Trek family in it? And I couldn't think of any. So I said, why not make Miles Away the first? Sweet. And I've also got a couple of the, uh, I've got Oliver and James Phelps, a couple of the twins from the Harry Potter series. The Weasley twins, they're already attached to do the voices. What's going on, guys, if you're listening to this? Um, I've got three of the knights from the Merlin television series. Brad, Ian, and Rupert. Uh, I've got a couple of the people from the Torchwood franchise. I have a real, I've got a lot of 
a really eclectic assortment of people that have learned about Miles Away and really want to attach their talents to it because they really can see the value of what it is we've created. Cool. Or we, I, sorry. <laughs> let me, let me, I said we've created. Because when I say we, I'm talking about the graphic novel. That was a collaborative effort. I am the Gene Roddenberry of the universe, but I cannot draw stick figures. And I could not write. At the time that I started, the, when I created the book itself, I had never, I had never written a feature film script. So my writing partner for the book is a guy named Brandon Easton. And Brandon is one of the writers for the new Thundercat series. Phenomenal writer, yes. Cool. And he is a, an amazing author and writer himself. He has his own graphic novel out called Shadow Law. And Brandon actually took my source material and then went and wrote the book, sent it to me because I had then at that point learned how to do uh, writing. I learned how to write scripts. Then I went through and I did the rewrite because I knew exactly what I wanted it to look like. Nice. Because it came, you know, when it comes out of your head, it's easy to see something and say, no, this is not supposed to happen like that. And then for me to do the correction and say, okay, now it feels right. And then I sent it out to the artist team and the letterer. And I was instrumental in every step of the way for the entire production because I'm going to be very specific about what it looks like when it all is said and done. Cool. So totally your baby. Yes. Hey, look at that. We have miles, away, miles away, miles away, miles away. That's right. Can you hear him? Come on, man. Miles away. World tour. Let's go. Well, that was interesting. Indeed. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So, Anthony, you'll be here all weekend yes. talking track, meeting yes. people, talking at, about miles away. I'm at booth 150. I'm at cool. table 150. So, yeah, everybody, please come grab your copy. I only brought 400 copies of the book with me, and I'd like to not take any of them home. Right on. Because every book that goes out, I know that's a book that is reaching out to. I, they told me that the way it works is. If one person tells eight people, then it keeps spreading. So with those 400 books, I could effectively have 3,200 people out there that all of a sudden know about it that will then go tell eight people themselves that right. will then tell. And Miles Away has it's got a lot of momentum. I'm already in talks with an animation studio to turn it into the animated series. And... Everybody is really excited about it. So I thank you guys. No problem. We see at conventions all the time, man. You you love this. You embrace this. Oh, you it's, have to. Yeah. But you have to because, to me, don't come to the conventions and begrudgingly sign or make the fans feel like you don't want to be there. The conventions are a fan experience, and it should be a great experience for them. It shouldn't even be a good experience because without those fans supporting us, none of these shows get on air, regardless. There are a bunch of brilliant ideas out there, but they don't have a fan following to bring them to the masses. So anytime I'm able to interact with these guys, of course I'm appreciative that they love me from Enterprise, but I also know that our core Star Trek fans out there, whether they're Enterprise fans or just Star Trek fans in general, they will support us as long as we are doing quality work. So I thank them, and I'm always wanting to let them know by giving them my positive energy that I appreciate all the love they've shown us for, what is it, four decades and counting? Yeah. Yes. 
Cool. So Thanks thank so much. you guys, everybody at Mission Log. I appreciate all of you. I'm Anthony Montgomery, your friendly neighborhood, Travis Mayweather. Follow me on Twitter at Mr. A Montgomery. Check out AnthonyMontgomery.com. I'll always have updates for everybody, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, man. So, uh, fun fact about me, John. Oh, um, yeah. I don't really like Star Trek that much. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, um, what was fascinating to me with Anthony's interview, and mm-hmm. I think you mentioned it during the interview that I was you know, sitting here. I was sitting here just actually totally full attention on what Anthony was saying. I love the fact that he came to Star Trek with not only an understanding of, but a love of the message. Yeah. That Gene Roddenberry was sort of, uh, or, or the, I don't want to say message, philosophy, I guess, would be the way to put it. Because it's not a message. I mean, I mean, you could certainly say, well, what he said about equality, I mean, I guess that is a message. But, I mean, that he sort of grok the philosophy before he got there. That he understood Star Trek going into it, as opposed to, you know, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with what, with what Connor said about, yeah, you know, I sort of came to it cold. Right. I mean, that's cool, too. But, right. I mean, to... to how exciting would that be to like, you know, this, this has been a thing that's been very exciting for a very long time. And, oh, wow. Now I get to help create it, too. Yeah, that's awesome. So that was a, that was really fun. Well done, Mr. Champion. Well, thank you. Certainly. Thank you. They're, they're easy interviews because Anthony is always at 125 percent. That was crazy. He's he's turned up to 11. Yeah. So I apologize now about any peeking out on our audio. <laughs> yeah. You may have heard. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll and I can't wait to have them back when we talk about Enterprise. <laughs> right. We'll and, have them back when they while. are jaded. Yes. About, about James and Nicole, didn't we do this 11 years ago? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as Ken mentioned, uh, we're here at Star Trek Las Vegas. We will have our um, panel discussion in the D. Kelly Theater at 3.40 p.m., um, we'll be at the Roddenberry table chatting, grabbing interviews as they come. And, um, you know, we're, we're quickly approaching the end of season two of yeah. TOS. Yeah. So we actually just had our one-year uh, anniversary on this show. Right here. Yeah. It was, it was the first day of the convention last year, I believe, was when, um, was when the very first episode of Mission Log went up. Yep. The 53rd episode went up today. So, we're so that's one full year. Yeah. Beginning year two. Well, not even as we speak, because we did it a couple of weeks ago. But And, and you know what that means, is that Spock's brain is right around the corner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the cartoons. I'm wondering, you know, we, the reactions we're getting from people who hear about the cartoons, occasionally you get somebody who's ecstatic. Yeah. But you also get a lot of people like, oh, you're doing those. Good. But then we, but we're gonna double up. Oh, okay. So it won't yeah. take long. Yeah, right. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Hey, call me in twelve weeks when you're done with that. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I need a break. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back with more from the convention. Now leaving Nerdist.com.